Welcome to The Open Word, the online teaching ministry of Pastor David Landry on today's episode. Open our hearts, change us from within by the open word. Give us ears to hear your truth and eyes to see the needs around us as we draw. Sometimes it came by the laying on of hands. Sometimes it just came as a group was praying together. And then there's other times, like we see here, that just during the preaching of the Word, bam, the Holy Spirit fell. And there was no stopping it at that point in time. Guys, we need to understand and look that, again, what God does, when God does it, how God does it, man, if we try to put it in the box, Guess what? God will blow the box up every time. Not just blow the top off. No, he blows the box up. So because he is God, he will do what he desires to do. Don't make the mistake of limiting God. Understand that he can and will do amazing things in your life if you allow him. And he'll do unimaginable things in the world around you, whether you want him to or not. Today, Pastor David challenges you to embrace the exceptional and unimaginable potential of Jesus. He is unbound and he reigns eternally over all things. He's the creator of the universe and beyond. Embrace the majesty of God and realize the good it can do if allowed to radiate through your life. Now here's Pastor David in the book of Acts chapter 10 as he begins his message, Religion Kills, Grace Saves. Some people who may only know me slightly but don't know me really well, they might make the comment saying, well, you're kind of a religious guy, aren't you? Those that know me know that I'm not a very religious guy. As a matter of fact, I found a great definition about religion. It says religion is a system of beliefs or a code of moral conduct that judges either qualifying or disqualifying a person based on their adherence and obedience to certain codes, rules, laws, traditions, or the performance of required acts. That's what religion is. And the interesting thing is what God had done at the beginning in forming the Hebrew nation uh, in, in order to reveal himself to a man, man morphed it to give himself control over other men. And that's simply what religion ends up being. That's why true Christianity is actually about relationship and not religion. Uh, What we do find time and time and time again is that religion kills while grace is what offers to all that saving life, that eternal life. We're in Acts, the book of Acts. We're in chapter 10. We've been in there for a while. I invite you to turn there. We're actually going to finish up chapter 10. We're actually moving on into chapter 11 today, so we're making a lot of ground. So so far in, in Acts chapter 10, if you've been with us for a while, you know that we've been moving 
uh, looking at the heart of a Gentile by the name of Cornelius. He was a Roman centurion, uh, again, uh, stationed there in Caesarea. We saw how this guy was undoubtedly, he was, he was a man of influence, uh, probably social stature because of his position. He was uh, undoubtedly a man of wealth. He had a household with servants. Uh, he gave freely of his own finances to assist those people that had financial stress. We saw that in the earlier verses of chapter 10. Uh, we found out also that he himself wasn't a Jew, but God had taken note of his prayers and of the attitude of his heart. And so God had sent an angel to Cornelius there at his house and told him to go and send for a man named Simon Peter in order that he could come and share with you the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And so Peter and some other Christian men who were down in Joppa, about 33 miles away down the coast of the Mediterranean Sea, they came up to Cornelius's house there in Caesarea, and Peter began to share with not only Cornelius, but all of his household, all of his servants, uh, other families and friends that he invited in, Peter began to share with them the truth, the hope, and the salvation that's found through faith in Jesus Christ. Not through a religious structure, but through faith in Jesus Christ. And again, we read in verse 43 there in chapter 10, again, that as Peter zeroed in on that way of salvation, he shared with, uh, we looked at verse 43, Peter was saying to him, speaking of Jesus, all the prophets witnessed that through his name, whoever believes in him will receive remission or the payment of sin. Now that's, then something very amazing happened. It, 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 again, something that, that neither Peter nor any of the other believing Jews that had come up with him from Joppa could have even anticipated or, or, or began to imagine. Look what happens in verse 44 of chapter 10. In verse 44, while Peter was still speaking these words, the Holy Spirit fell upon all those who heard the word. And those of the circumcision who believed were astonished as many as came with Peter. Now, those of the circumcision, those were Jews who had become Christians who were down in Joppa that followed with Peter up to Caesarea to see what was going on. So even those of the circumcision who believed, they were astonished as many as came with Peter because the gift of the Holy Spirit had been poured out on the Gentiles also, for they heard them speak with tongues and magnifying God. Peter was, in essence, he was in full stride. He was right pretty much in, I, I don't know what, how long his message would have been, but he's, he's going along. He's waxing eloquent right now. He hadn't even come to the point of giving any kind of a altar call or an invitation or anything that we look as the norm in preaching. And suddenly the Holy Spirit came and fell on those that were listening to him. There in that whole house of Cornelius. It seems as though as he was preaching, as he was sharing the reality of Christ, that that last thin little barrier to their belief for these Gentiles had been penetrated and suddenly their faith was directed toward Jesus and the Holy Spirit came and God filled them again with the power and with the anointing of the Holy Spirit. God wasn't waiting for man to get finished. 
How exciting that would be, I think, for any preacher. You know, you're just going along, you're preaching, you know, oh man, I got three or four more pages, and all of a sudden the Holy Spirit fall and revival breaks out within the congregation. Wait a minute, wait a minute, I'm not finished yet. No, you'd, you'd be a fool to do that. Peter didn't do that. Again, they were just, they stood back and were astonished at what God was doing. There's no way they could have expected it. There's no way even, I believe, that they would have anticipated it. Gentiles coming to faith in Jesus, being filled with the Holy Spirit just like us? Are you kidding me? And that's why they were all astonished. And honestly, I, I feel that even that word astonished was probably an understatement as Luke writes this, because these guys could not imagine because there was so much that they had already planned and programmed in their own mind of what it would take for these Gentiles to come to saving faith. You need to understand, at this point in time, having all three of these things happen at once, uh, uh, again, coming to faith in Christ and suddenly being filled with the Holy Spirit and speaking in tongues, that was not something that happened on a regular basis. We need to understand that. We do see some instances in the New Testament, but it was not and it did not seem to be the norm. Let me take you on a little side journey here right now. We'll keep our place here in Acts chapter 10. We'll kick back in here in a moment. But one of the things that we know about this work and this move of the Holy Spirit, particularly in the New Testament church, is that you could not count on it being the same way every time. It changed continually. We found that in Acts chapter two, the coming of the Holy Spirit was, again, came to those that were in that upper room. They were praying. They were already believers. They were already trusting in Christ. And as they prayed, Acts chapter two, Luke tells us that suddenly there came a sound from heaven as a rushing mighty wind, and it filled the whole house where they were sitting, and there appeared to them, uh, again, divided tongues as of fire, and one sat on each of them. So again, this mighty rushing wind, the whole house involved with this, and these tongues of fire coming and landing on each one that's there in the upper room. And then they were all filled with the Holy Spirit, and they began to speak with other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. But even here, as you look at this, that sound from heaven, that rushing mighty wind, you need to understand, we don't read of that ever happening again. In any other case, we don't read that happening again within the New Testament. Even those divided tongues, those tongues of fire landing on the individuals, this appears to be a singular occurrence. God did something special. God did something powerful. But that's the only time that we read about it in the New Testament, even when we speak of other times as people and individuals were filled with the Spirit. As a matter of fact, probably the closest we get to that kind of a day of Pentecost experience actually happens a little bit later with some of these same believers during a time of prayer, after a time of persecution. In Acts 4, we read where they had gathered together in verse 31, it says that when they prayed, that the place where they were assembled together was shaken. It's a, so again, not a mighty rushing wind, but like more like an earthquake was taking place at that point in time. And it says that again, they were filled with the Holy Spirit and they spoke the word of God with boldness. Now you need to understand, they didn't speak, or at least it does not say that they spoke with tongues at that point in time. But there seemed to be a boldness in their witness that came about 
from that event. They're witness to the unbelieving, the non-believing world. Even when the Spirit moved in the lives of the Samaritans, and we looked at that a couple of chapters ago in Acts chapter 8, it was still different. Remember, Philip had gone up to, again, to visit and to minister to these Samaritans. And the Samaritans received the Lord Jesus. And we don't hear anything else until Peter and John from Jerusalem, they then go down to Samaria. And there in Acts chapter 8, verse 15, it says that Peter and John prayed for them that they might receive the Holy Spirit for as yet he had fallen upon none of them. They had only been baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. Then they, Peter and John, laid hands on them, on the Samaritans, and the Samaritans received the Holy Spirit. So in this instance, the apostles laid their hands on the Samaritans, and then the Holy Spirit fell upon them. And again, it doesn't say specifically what kind of an outward manifestation was in their lives. There had to be something because it was apparent uh, to those that were there that saw it that they were filled with the Holy Spirit. We just don't know for certain what it was. What was that manifestation that they were filled with the Spirit? There was also the time of the Holy Spirit's move when, again, by the laying on of hands of just the apostle Paul to some from Ephesus, we see that filling of the Holy Spirit. In Acts chapter 19, we're not there yet. We'll get to it later. But in verse 5, it says that when these from Ephesus heard what the apostle Paul was saying, when they heard this, they were baptized, water baptism, in the name of Jesus Christ. Then Paul laid hands on them, and the Holy Spirit came upon them, and these guys then, they did speak with tongues, and they prophesied. Again, after the filling of the baptism of the Holy Spirit, uh, well, even the baptism of the Holy Spirit, that came after they were baptized by water this time. Now, I'm sharing all of this with you this morning just because I want you to understand that in reference to that ongoing work of the Holy Spirit in a believer's life, guys, I have yet to see a, a pattern of how and when and even the resulting manifestation that has to take place in order that we can say, I know that they are baptized by the Spirit. And yet some in the church says, well, it's the only symbol or the only connection that we know that you've been baptized by the Spirit is if you're speaking in tongues, and that's the only evidence of it. Listen, I believe in the baptism of the Spirit. I believe in speaking in tongues, but I don't believe that that is the only evidence of the baptism of the Spirit. I believe much more of an evidence of the baptism of the Holy Spirit is that the fruit of the Spirit would be manifested within that believer's life. And all of these other gifts, that's for another study later, so we need to get back on track. But let me tell you, sometimes, you you need to understand, sometimes the Holy Spirit came following water baptism. Other times, his presence came before they were baptized. Sometimes it came by the laying on of hands. Sometimes it just came as a group was praying together. And then there's other times, like we see here, that just during the preaching of the word, bam, the Holy Spirit fell, and there was no stopping it at that 
point in time. Guys, we need to understand and look that, again, what God does, when God does it, how God does it, man, if we try to put it in a box, guess what? God will blow the box up every time. Not just blow the top off. No, he blows the box up. So because he is God, he will do what he desires to do. So now that I've finished that rabbit trail, let's come back to Acts chapter 10. What's going on in chapter 10 in Cornelius' house is a powerful thing. There is this physical evidence, this physical manifestation of a supernatural work that God was doing. And I don't want to lessen that at all. So let's look again at those verses, verses 44 through 46. It says that while Peter was still speaking these words, the Holy Spirit fell upon all those who heard the word. And those of the circumcision who believed, it blew them away. They were astonished. As many as came with Peter, because the gift of the Holy Spirit had been poured out on the Gentiles also. And they heard them speak with tongues and magnify God. There's no escaping the fact that there is similarities of what's going on here in Cornelius' house and what happened on the day of Pentecost. On the day of Pentecost, the believers were simply praying together. The Holy Spirit fell. They began speaking in tongues at that point, magnifying and glorifying God. Remember what, what the testimony of the witnesses, the multitudes of the thousands. We hear them giving glory to God in our own languages. Well, now here in Cornelius' house, it says that they are, again, speaking in tongues and magnifying God. Similarities of what took place on the day of Pentecost. There was this instantaneous, there was this visible and even an audible manifestation that couldn't be denied. And that's why some say that what's going on in Cornelius' house on that day was actually the Gentile Pentecost. Uh, for, for them, suddenly God, for the church earlier, for the Jewish church earlier on the day of Pentecost, it's totally separate from the Gentiles, Jewish believers only, now here in Cornelius' house, nothing but Gentiles, and God does a very similar powerful work. Same powerful work through that indwelling presence, that overwhelming, inflowing baptism of the Holy Spirit that God filled the Jewish believers on Pentecost. He's now doing it in these Gentiles. And then Peter answered, the end of verse 46 going on into verse 47. Can anyone forbid water that these should not be baptized who have received the Holy Spirit just as we have? And he commanded them to be baptized in the name of the Lord. Then they asked him, they asked Peter to stay a few days. God had done this powerful work. None of them had anticipated it. Now we've got these new babies that are part of the the kingdom of heaven and God was doing a work in them that they could not have imagined. Gentiles coming to faith in Jesus without becoming Jews first. Inconceivable. You look at that, that's not the way it works. It's gotta work the other way. It has to work that you become a Jew first then you become a Christian. That's the mindset of the Christian Jews at that point in time. These babes in Christ, these Gentile believers, 
Somebody has to now nourish them, direct them on into the truth. So Cornelius asked Peter to stay a few days. Can you imagine the richness of the Bible studies at that point in time? You're hanging out at Cornelius' house. Maybe you're a friend, maybe you're a neighbor, maybe you're a relative, you've come. You only came for that one day, for that one meeting. But then you hear that Peter's gonna be there for a few days. So every morning you're there bright and early because you want to hear everything that Peter has to say. He's probably sharing about the Lord during breakfast time, and then after breakfast, they're having a great Bible study as he's sharing the reality and the truth of who Jesus Christ is. Again, the, the reality of God in flesh coming to visit. And Peter's sharing with them all that he's seen, all that he experienced with the Lord. Lunchtime comes, and while you're breaking bread together, having that great falafel sandwich, you're sitting there, and Peter is sharing the word of God with them. And then after lunch, everybody takes a nap. You got to take a nap first. And then they come back and they have another great Bible study before dinner and then on into the night. How long into the night? Because Peter wasn't going to stay there forever. He was only going to be there for a few days. Can you imagine all that he's pouring in? Wouldn't that be an awesome time to just bask in the message and in the wisdom and in the presence of the Lord? Again, nothing more exciting to see than a new believer. A new believer on fire for the Lord, filled with the Holy Spirit and growing in that grace and the knowledge of his Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Nothing more exciting to see than new believers. They want to tell everybody. They want to bring everybody into that truth that they found. And then all of a sudden, what happens to us, church? What happens to us? We, we, we become settled in. We become, I'm afraid we become institutionalized. We, we suddenly, our, 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 our relationship and that fire becomes more just kind of the norm and we're just kind of floating away. And all too many of us have lost that fire of a new believer. Yeah, Peter was able to stay a few days. He ministered to them. He encouraged them in the word, but he needed to go back to Jerusalem. And I'm sure that the reception that he received back in Jerusalem wasn't exactly what he anticipated either. Look what it says. We're now moving, yes, into chapter 11. We're moving forward. Chapter 11 and verse 1. Now the apostles and brethren who were in Judea heard that the Gentiles had also received the word of God. And when Peter came up to Jerusalem, those of the circumcision came up to him saying, tell us about that great move of God among the Gentiles. Yeah, those of you that have a Bible, you know that's not what happened. As a matter of fact, you can't hardly believe what happened. God had moved powerfully in these Gentiles, and now these back in Jerusalem, they're saying, wait a second. You went into uncircumcised men and you ate with them? That was their issue. People had gotten saved, born into the kingdom of God. And they were more concerned about their rules, their regulations, and their statutes. Beloved, isn't that just exactly what religion does to you? It makes you care more about the rules and the regulations than you do about the people. Luke makes it clear there in the first verse. They had heard that the Gentiles had received the word of God. But for them, that wasn't the important issue. No, the important issue, the important thing that got them is that Peter, you stepped over the line, brother. You stepped over the line. So Peter then had to go back and explain the entire event 
to them. And he began to recount all of the events from his time on the rooftop there at Simon the Tanner's all the way through that coming of the Holy Spirit into the Gentiles' hearts and lives. That's all we have time for on today's edition of The Open Word. Pastor David has been teaching through the book of Acts, introducing you to the early church and how they were radically changed by an encounter with the Holy Spirit. As we wrap up our time with you today, we'd like to let you know how you can listen to more editions of The Open Word. Here's Pastor David. I'm so glad you tuned in today to The Open Word. As you know, this broadcast is meant to share with you the hope, grace, and love that can only be found through Jesus Christ. Would you like to listen to more of them? Well, just visit theopenword.com. You'll be directed to our Facebook page where we're adding all of my previous messages for you to listen to for free. Be sure to like and follow that page and feel free to share it with your friends. That website again is theopenword.com. Thanks, Pastor David. We'd like to take a moment before we close and ask you to consider partnering with us here at The Open Word. Would you pray for us and for our listeners? We know the enemy attempts to hinder the truth of the gospel from being spread. He will stop at no cost to prevent even one heart from turning to Jesus. Thanks for partnering with us in this, and thanks for listening to The Open Word. Do you live in Casa Grande? If so, we'd love to meet you. Come join us this weekend at Calvary Chapel Casa Grande on Saturday at 6.30 p.m. or Sunday at 9 or 11 a.m. Directions can be found at theopenword.com. That's all for today. Thanks again for tuning in and for praying for The Open Word.